Welcome to the Bank Leader Link podcast, sponsored by BOK Financial Institutions Group. The team at BOK, based in Milwaukee, is comprised of experienced bankers who have focused their entire careers on servicing community banks in the Midwest. BOK Financial Institutions Group provides services created over several decades to meet the evolving needs of your community bank. With BOK, financial institutions are not just getting one skilled, experienced investment professional. Rather, they are getting the benefit of a whole team of professionals who have a proven track record so you can be confident in the service and advice you receive. BOK offers solutions that result in long-term partnerships. They are a great partner with the IBA and with many banks. Look for the BOK team at the next IBA event you attend or reach out to BOK Financial Institutions Group at 866-440-6515 to start a conversation. Now it's my pleasure to introduce the host of the Bank Leader Link podcast, Randy Holkren, President and CEO of the Illinois Bankers Association. Listen to industry experts share the critical links you've been missing to prepare yourself for the future of banking. Hello, everybody. This is Randy Holtgren, president of the Illinois Bankers Association. Thank you so much for joining the Bank Leader Link podcast. Great to have you. And I'm really excited to have a good friend, someone that I've worked with for a lot of years in a lot of different ways, but love working with him at the IBA. Ben Jackson is executive vice president of the Illinois Bankers Association. He runs our government relations and advocacy and communications and is just doing a fabulous job of that. So, Ben, thanks for all you do for our banks in Illinois. Thanks for being a great voice for our members and for the, yeah, just the relationships you've built with elected officials, regulators that benefit our banks. Good to be with you. You've been with the IBA now since 2009, is that right? So that's right. Yep. 13 years, uh, that's awesome. And, and again, I just feel like as I talk to other state banking associations, I am just convinced that we have the gold standard of government relations here with Ben's leadership, Amy Smith, Matt and Berja, and just a fantastic group of some other lobbyists that we work with that help us at all different phases. So Ben, great to be with you today. Thank you, Randy, appreciate it. Hey, just wanna jump in right away. We've wrapped up our legislative session early. It was kind of strange being in Springfield on May 31st this year and nothing going on. They finished up pretty early. I don't know that any of us expected that they'd actually finish on time. But they did, or close to it, I think. Wasn't it like first week of April that they wrapped up? It was, it was a busy yeah. session, mm-hmm. but had some things that came up that certainly were of impact to our bankers. wonder if you could talk briefly about maybe some of the victories and some of the continued challenges that we have with the Illinois State Legislature. Sure. And again, thanks, Randy. And always a pleasure after, as Randy said, almost 13 years. Just uh, we, I love my job and we love our team. Loves just serving the banking industry throughout the state and uh, really throughout the country on a lot of issues. So it continues to be a pleasure to serve our great industry. So the reason that the state legislature wrapped up so early, you might know, and I hope you're registered to vote out there, we have our primary election that has been moved to June this year. It was delayed because of some delays with the national census. And uh, because of those delays, the state legislature pushed the primary back till June, when it's usually typically in March. So in just about 10 days from the date we're recording this, we'll have the primary election, and we'll talk about that a little later. As far as legislative issues, and Randy, you know, 
highly involved with, with our team and working on these issues, so feel free to jump in. I'll focus on a couple of highlights from the state legislative session, but I'll start with just talking a little bit about the tone of the session. It's been a challenging couple of years in Illinois for the business community, following kind of civil unrest and things two years ago. There was a lot of pressure from the political class in terms of demanding a lot of accountability around specific issues with uh, from the business community, and that included banks. And we saw some things pass through the legislature very quickly that were not good for the business community in general and not good for the banking industry specifically in Illinois. One example of that certainly is the State Community Reinvestment Act law. We're now awaiting rules for that. Certainly we'll ask for bankers' comments on that. But that was something that passed about 18 months ago through the legislature and was signed very quickly. I think we've turned the corner looking at this past spring on that kind of pressure on the business community. We're in a very progressive state here in Illinois, so there will always be pressure on the business community and banks specifically, but the level of pressure I think has subsided somewhat. And we had some successes this spring in the legislature. One of those was passing a bill changing our state banking law and the law, the Savings Bank Act, applicable to our thrift members that changes some longstanding confusion under our under our regulatory act. For many decades you might know, especially your compliance team would know, that there has been a law in the books in Illinois that says that the IDFPR, our state regulator, needs to draft rules for adopting a record retention policy for banks. That's something that's never happened. The rule's never been written. And we had members come to us and say, let's fix this. So our legal team worked on some legislation. We filed it in the legislature, got it passed this year in the spring, and it's been signed into law by the governor. And what it does is just kind of strip that out, that requirement to adopt rules related to record retention. And instead that it says department, the IDFPR still has the authority to write rules regarding record retention. But in the absence of that, you need to follow federal and and state and local laws related to record retention, but otherwise you can dispose of records as you see best within your institution. It also has a provision in it that changes delivery methods for when you're out there um, providing notice to your customer of some request to release information related to, say, a court order, subpoena, something like that. So it modernizes the delivery methods for those notices to your customers. We're very pleased to clear up that long-standing confusion in the Banking Act and the Savings Bank Act. And that was a pretty big victory for us, certainly turning the corner on that um, kind of anti-business climate that we've seen the past couple of years. Yeah, I think it was a great victory, a good step forward. One of the other things I loved about that, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was one of our bankers who kind of brought this idea up to us. You and your team really crafted it, worked through the process to get it drafted and and get the sponsorship and get it through both houses. But that's how it should work. You know, we want our bankers to be reaching out to us when they're seeing something that just isn't working or frustrating or whatever. Who knows? You know, there might be an opportunity for us to do something legislatively that could clear that up. And this, to me, is one of those examples of the process working how it should. Unfortunately, we see so many times where it doesn't perfect example, like you talked about 18 months ago with that lame duck session, whatever, uh, things kind of pushed through last second without hearings and things. This was one that worked, the process worked. And we love it when our members reach out, 
with ideas, with questions, with suggestions. So great job on that. That's awesome. What else? Uh, any other highlights or lowlights from the spring session here in Springfield? There's always some negatives. We didn't have a lot of negatives this spring, but certainly a lot of work on behalf of the industry, on behalf of all the folks listening to this, I hope to make sure that we're not creating an additional burden for banks in the state in terms of the regulations out there and the laws out there that affect them. And I think we had a, a real good success record. One thing that we've worked on the last couple of years, and there's been a lot of pressure from community activist groups on, around this issue, is the issue of valuations related to mortgage lending. So we helped tweak a little bit the, the language of a bill and then supported the bill that creates an appraisal task force. And that is going to include banker representation as well as representation from the appraisal industry and community groups. This is a state task force. And it's going to be, I think, a valuable exercise in terms of looking at the problems in valuations in Illinois. There's been particular pressure on at least, if not statistical significance, and there is some research to back this up, as well as anecdotal evidence, that appraisals, there's a problem with them, particularly in underserved LMI communities, communities of color, and other areas that might have issues with receiving traditional mortgages. So this task force with banker representation on it is going to look at some of those problems and is also going to look at problems that we've long heard from bankers about in terms of appraisal shortages, appraiser shortages, I should say, meaning particularly in our rural areas of the state, we've seen a lack of new appraisers coming on. It's an industry that's certainly aging and there's also a need to diversify that industry along with bringing in new individuals. And the rules as they stand today for becoming an appraiser are pretty antiquated and certainly in the view of our members need to be updated. So that task force that we supported will look at that issue as well. I think, again, this is another important issue. And one of the things I love about this, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but it shows that bankers and your association want to do the right thing, want opportunities for every single individual in, in Illinois, every single community, and recognizing there were mistakes in the past. It wasn't just bankers, it was you know, a lot of entities out there that caused this problem of underbanked communities and undervalued communities. But it's stepping up and saying, let's do what we can to rectify this. Let's get this heading in the right direction. And bankers want to be a part of solving problems. And so, anyhow, I, I think it's a good good step and something that I'm hopeful that uh, some good results come out of. Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, I wonder if I could ask you quickly about uh, something that came up. We had our lobby day, economic investment day that we do in Springfield each year. We had that back in March and there was a big issue that came up while we were gathering basically, or like the night before, a bill that the retail merchants I know had been working on and then really you and your team and some others recognized that they were trying to maybe slip something in there, a pretty significant change to uh, liability responsibility when there's fraud with credit cards and debit cards. Wonder if you could talk a little bit more about that. I know there was a call to action. Wonder how that all finished up. So if you can kind of wrap that up for our listeners to just let them know what happened there. Randy, as you know from your time serving in Congress, there's been decades of, I would say, battles between the retail merchants and the banking industry around who's responsible for fraudulent activity that occurs. And it's unfortunate because our banks, we know, our members, you all work with 
retail merchants, they're your customers, they're your uh, often business allies, but yet we've had this really imbalanced fight at the federal level specifically around card fraud and who pays for it. We have the Durbin Amendment in place from the Dodd-Frank Act. There was recent federal hearings on expanding that perhaps Mm -hmm. to credit cards, although we haven't seen any legislation yet. And we think that what we saw in Springfield this spring may have been an attempt to kind of test the waters for broader attempts by the merchants to impose additional liability on banks around card fraud. So it was a very troubling, as you said, provision that was slipped in a bill kind of late in the legislative session. It was supposed to perhaps go through very quickly through the legislature because the larger bill dealt with organized retail crime. We've seen a proliferation of this in the city of Chicago. The last couple of years, according to the merchants, certainly those have grabbed headlines, whether they're statistically expanding or not is another question, but definitely a big political issue that folks in Springfield wanted to solve. And at the last minute, there was a provision slipped in there that, in a nutshell, would have essentially said when there's card fraud related to a purchase at a merchant, could be in person, could be online, card not present fraud, essentially a bank, a card issuer, would be responsible for the merchant's fraud losses directly. So if merchandise left the store, whether the card issuer froze the transaction or the payment went through, there would be a need to pay the merchant for their fraud losses. And again, the card issuer's arm's length from this transaction. They aren't directly there. This occurred on the merchant's watch. And, you know, there's certainly safeguards that the merchant could put in place to try and prevent instances as well. So it amounted to really double liability for the card issuer in some cases where they may have to make the customer whole for a transaction that went through and then also make the merchant whole. Really bad policy, but it was on a fast track, as you said, in Springfield, or so we thought. We were successful in, thanks to bankers' grassroots calls to their legislators and a lot of really quick, diligent lobbying work, we were able to tap the brakes on this legislation and then get that language, that liability language, pulled out. We did end up with some other language related to merchants providing card issuers evidence of fraud, which we're okay with, but we stripped out the liability provisions, and that was a huge victory, not only for banks in Illinois, but we think nationally. Yeah. Again, I think it's one of those that's a great story of how it ought to work. You know, that your bankers association, the IBA, is keeping an eye on all this, digging into the minutia. I mean, this was like page 35, 36 of this amendment that was filed right at the end of session to identify it, to find it, to see the problem, to see also that uh, that this is something that really could have national implications if not addressed here in Illinois, uh, how important this was. But then for your team to jump in, all hands on deck, reaching out to legislators, especially I think the senators was kind of the key of uh, stopping in state senators, and then call to action to our members. And literally dozens and dozens and dozens of bankers reached out to state senators. They heard quickly our concern, frustration, challenges that we had with this, and we were able to stop that, which was amazing, but then also redirect it in something that I think is very acceptable to our members. So great job. I think that is a huge victory. And again, it shows why it's so important for the IBA to be doing what we're doing and to have the team that we've got and 
that it's making a difference that really is impactful for banks in Illinois. Definitely. And again, just to reinforce how important that grassroots involvement by direct bankers is for the industry and yeah. for our lobbying efforts. Let's t- touch on a couple of things. Anything keeping you up at night up in Chicago? Anything that we ought to be aware of? Or do you feel like we're okay right now? I think we're okay. As uh, we've mentioned to a lot of our bank members, we continue to try and just tell the positive stories of what banks are doing in their communities. And that doesn't always come across in PUMDA data or a CRA report. It often takes individual banks as well as the IBA as your trade association, as your representative in the public to broadcast that message. So we're consistently attempting to do that and to just kind of have a a, uh, push forward of advancing those positive stories about what banks are doing in their communities. Yeah, that's great. And that's something we talk about all the time. And those listening, we'd love to hear from you stories of what you're doing, of what your employees are doing, what your bank is doing, giving back to your community. It's overwhelming, I think, of the great work that bankers are doing, volunteering, serving on nonprofit boards, doing financial literacy education, all of these different things, giving back to communities. And it really helps us working with legislators to be able to tell these stories of good things that bankers are doing in their communities. So especially up in Chicago, that's important. They don't always see banks in the best light. Not all of our elected officials up there see banks as positively as we do. And so for them to hear these stories of great things that bankers are doing there in Chicago and in every community across the the state really helps us. So yeah, give it, get us those stories. We'd love to tell them and they really do help us with our legislative efforts. So that's great. One other thing I'll say quickly on this is uh, so proud of Ben and his team. Really, there's no other banking association, state or federal, that is engaged trying to keep things in Chicago. And you know, a lot of bankers, maybe from across the state, might think, ah, do we really need to be engaged in Chicago? We do. It is very important. It's obviously a significant part of Illinois, but we've also seen time and again where an idea starts in Chicago, will go to Springfield, and maybe even end up going to the federal government. The CRA is a perfect example of that, something that started in Chicago, went to Springfield, ultimately went to Washington, D.C., now is national policy. So it is important for us to be engaged. So thank you for what you do. I know every single day you're thinking about it, of uh, staying aware of what's happening in Chicago, recognizing that it absolutely has an impact on the rest of the state, potentially the rest of the nation. Yeah, and I can tell you there was an example this spring in Springfield, and there was legislation related to changing the Human Rights Act related to housing discrimination, and it affected the banking industry. We were successful in negotiating an exemption for banks from that legislation. It had to do with more requirements to expand housing access rights. And the advocates on the other side of this bill who were pushing this legislation mentioned, well, it's already the law in Chicago and Cook County, so why not expand that statewide? And we had to explain the reasons for that. This happens to be a law that's been on the books for about 25 years in Chicago and Cook County, long before we were directly involved in the legislative side of those areas. But that's just a direct recent example of why it's important, why you you see, we see time and again, like Randy said, that we have a trickle-down effect from Chicago and Cook to expand those policies that may not be right for the entire state to the entire state. Got a few minutes left. Let's talk quickly about D.C., any things that you're keeping an eye on there, anything that 
our bankers ought to be aware of, either good or bad, coming out of Washington, D.C.? Anything come to mind? Well, I think, Randy, I know you were out there recently with a great group of our board members, and so I know you have some insights there. Certainly, we're following a lot of the regulation that's coming out in the uh, Biden administration right now. CRA reform, bankers who are listening, if you have comments on the pending CRA rule, comments are due, I believe, early August. Our law department, please reach out to them with any comments you have. CFPB is pushing out collection, uh, information collection related to what they call junk fees related to overdraft fees and the like. So we've certainly seen in the last couple of years a change in the regulatory focus, more consumer-driven focus, and that's going to continue. On the legislative side, again, we're still pushing cannabis banking deregulation for our members, as well as some credit union legislation we've had to push back against credit union legislation that has passed the House Financial Services Committee. And certainly we're continuing to push things like ECORA and potentially the ABC Act. Those are pieces of legislation that would provide tax breaks to community banks so that they could better compete on business loans with farm credit and the credit unions. And we'll continue to work on those initiatives. Yeah, there's, again, so much to be watched and so many moving parts. But for the most part, it seems like things are moving relatively slowly out there, hoping the Safe Banking Act, the Cannabis Banking Act, might get wrapped up this year. It's been a long time in coming, but we'll see. Hopefully that can that can get finished up. And ever concern, persistent concern of credit unions and just this frustration, again, of negative impact to communities when credit unions are buying banks so that community loses that local bank, but also we lose some of the tax benefits that that bank was paying. So anything we can be doing to open up opportunities, keep community banks, uh, we're going to stay engaged in that. But it's a tough fight. It's something credit unions have a very strong lobby, have a very strong pack, have a lot of misperception. And I felt some of this myself when I served of not totally understanding these huge credit unions that are huge because they don't pay any tax. They're not huge because they provide great service. They're not huge because they're financial experts. They're huge because they, it's not, it's not fair. They're, they're not paying any tax. Uh, and so anything we can be doing, we're, we're gonna continue to, to find opportunities to tell that story. And in a way, I think the huge growth that we've been seeing of multi-billion dollar credit unions continuing to come in and buy banks, that story is, developing now for legislators to see that this is something they can no longer ignore. I had a chance to talk with one of our congressmen this week, and he recognized this is becoming a problem, and we're going to have to step up. We're going to maybe have to do something of recognizing huge credit unions that are hurting communities. Other people are having to pick up the tab because they're not paying any tax. So we'll keep working on that. Thanks for your great work on that. Hey, in the last few minutes, let's transition to elections. So I'd love just to get your thoughts. It is a crazy time. Every state rep, every state senator, every member of Congress is running, is up for election this time. We've, plus we've got a U.S. Senate race, we've got governor's race, we've got statewide uh, officials. I don't know, any thoughts, any surprises of how this primary has gone and I guess how you see things going into November? Yeah, so I think the overall national climate, probably most of our our listeners know, and Randy certainly knows, has shifted a little bit to uh, the Republican side somewhat. That's not uncommon during a, a midterm election for a president from another party. So we have a Democratic president right now. 
his, this is his midterm election. He's not on the ballot, but members of his party are. And typically you see a shift to the other side. And certainly the economy is dominating. In Illinois, issues of crime are in the top four or five issues that are, are dominating as well. But the economy kind of is overwhelming everything. Increase in prices for folks certainly makes things difficult and makes things ripe for, for change. Illinois is a state that has shifted bluer and more democratic in the last couple of decades. There are certainly opportunities for Republicans to make some strides and, and make some inroads into governing here in Illinois. It's unlikely to happen at the top of the ticket. Senator Duckworth is up and she's been a good friend to the banking yes. industry. We're, we're certainly supporting her. And really, if you look at the Republican challenges to her, challengers to her, she, I th we think she'll do very well in the fall election. Governor Pritzker, likewise, is in a pretty good position to get reelection. The Republican side of, of the governor's race, it's wide open. You know, you have several candidates and several that have a lot of money, either personal money or money from someone else to push their run. I think really you look at the top three candidates, you have Darren Bailey, who's a state senator. You have Richard Irvin, who is the mayor of Aurora currently. And then to a lesser extent, Jesse Sullivan, who is a kind of a tech guy, has some, some of his own money to put behind this. And the polling right now is favoring Darren Bailey, again, who's a current state senator. And he really comes from kind of the Trump backing wing of the Republican party. And uh, polling looks pretty good for, for Bailey. The last couple of polls that have been out have shown that he's taken a lead. Interestingly, the Democratic Governor's Association mm -hmm. with Governor Pritzker's money has put out a lot of ads for Bailey because they want to run against a more conservative candidate in Illinois, and that will put it, Governor Pritzker in an even stronger position to win. Where Republicans can make some inroads is really in the Illinois House oh. and potentially the Illinois Senate as well as perhaps our congressional delegation, as Randy knows that much better than me. Um, but whoever is at the top of the ticket for Republicans is going to make a difference down ballot. If you have someone that's too conservative, perhaps, like for the state of Illinois, that is, like Senator Bailey, it could harm potentially Republicans down ticket. You aren't gonna draw as many independents over to the party. Now, you know, issues like the economy and crime could kind of overcome some of that. Mm -hmm. And having good candidates, which we think the Republicans do, certainly in the House as well as the Illinois Senate, can help overcome that issue as well. So Republicans in the Illinois House, for example, will be fielding over 100 challengers. It's pretty amazing. It's, it's <laughs> a big number. I don't think I've ever known it to be that high in it, my time. It has not been that high. Uh, you're talking about it. A chamber, the Illinois House, that has 118 members. Super majority of those are, are Democrats, and the Republicans are fielding over 100 challengers in, um, in House races. So that's unprecedented, and we'll see how things go in the fall, whether some of those challengers can make some, make some inroads. And we certainly have a lot of very close, good Democratic friends. I mentioned Senator Duckworth, but up and down the board, in the legislature, state legislature, in Congress, but there's certainly a little bit of a lack of balance in Illinois. We don't think that the Republicans would win the Illinois House or the Illinois Senate, but making some inroads and maybe restoring a little bit of balance 
might not be a bad thing. Yeah, at least it'd be nice to get rid of the super majority. Veto proof, I, I just don't think that's healthy. Whoever, whichever side it is. So right. one last thing, uh, just kind of wrapping up with this. And thanks, Ben. Thanks for all you do. These are important races, like you said before. Primary election coming up. Make sure you get out and vote. Make sure you have your people get out and vote. If you've got questions on candidates, Ben and Amy and Matt and our team might have ideas. You know, if you've got a certain question on a, your state rep, state senator of, you know, how they've been on banking issues, we can let you know that. So give us a call if you've got questions. I would just give one last plug for our PAC. Uh, it makes a big difference. We support both Democrats and Republicans. We support on every level of elected office but it makes such a difference of that ability for us to be able to communicate with people running for office. And again, I know it from personal experience of how frustrating fundraising is for elected officials. And to be able to give opportunity, even for a few minutes, for elected official not to be have to be on the phone, but to be able to go a little bit deeper on issues makes a big difference. And so we would just, if you haven't given to uh, Illinois Bankers PAC, please do, please consider it right now. It's so important, finishing up this primary, getting ready for this general. With so many races out there, we can have a significant part of building friendships and having that ability to communicate with elected officials. So again, thank you for the work that you do. Thanks again for your great team. Amy, I know is the one, uh, Amy Smith is the one who does a lot of the day-to-day uh, -day stuff with the pack, but super important. And again, we've got a great team. So thanks for all you do. Thanks for great successes that we've had continue to have some challenges but any last words any thoughts you have well again i just want to say you know it's wonderful to work with randy having worked with him as he mentioned at the top on the other side when he was a, a lawmaker certainly to have him lead our team is wonderful and it's been a great relationship and it's been good for our visibility good for bankers and again it just continues to be a pleasure to serve our great industry that's doing so many good things in the state of illinois it can be challenging at times but Amy and I always say, you know, then we meet with our bankers and we see the good that they're doing and we know it's worth it and we know it's an industry worth fighting for always. Yeah, well said. Ben Jackson, Executive Vice President of the Illinois Bankers Association, Head of our Government Relations and Advocacy and Communications. Ben, thank you again for all that you do. Keep up the fight for the great bankers of Illinois. I want to thank all of you for listening to Bank Leader Link. And if you've got any questions, ideas, suggestions for us, let us know. Specifically, if you've got questions on the election coming up, let us know. And please, if you are willing, interested in giving to the PAC, please do that. You can do that online at our website. Thank you all. Hope you have a great day.